Also, I look out uh, upon all of you. Uh, I know, trying to think, most every single one of you know that we have five kids in our family. Uh, maybe some of you don't. Um, I think most all of you do. And uh, I consider that a, a large family. Uh, some may not, but I consider a large family. And having a large family is a great blessing. Uh, Psalm 127 says, Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Psalm 128 gives a, a picture of a, of a house filled with blessing. It says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. For thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now, although a large family is a great blessing, it also brings with it some difficulties, like many of you know. Um, one of the difficulties is getting ready to go someplace. Because with a large family, you not only have to get yourself ready, but you've got to get your little ones ready as well. And uh, for the young ones, it means dressing them, putting on their shoes, maybe tying their converse, or in some cases even carrying them to the car. For older ones, the strategy is different. The older ones goes like this. Hey guys, we're going to leave in about half an hour, okay? Alright, alright. Uh, 15 minutes, you guys ready? Okay. Five minutes, we're going to leave in five minutes. Two, two minutes. Hey, we're ready, we're ready to go, are you ready? You can guess who those are. Those are the teenagers who, by the way, tend to slow us down more than the toddlers ever have. So, but that's for, that's for another time and, um, we'll talk about that later. But, that's the battle to go anyplace. Because uh, once once you got all these people, you discover that you're you're ready. But but by the time you get these ready, you find out that these are unready, and uh, so it's just a difficulty to get to get there real. But well, let's be real here. It's not just a, a lot of kids in a family that make things hard to be there. Uh, I know that I, in my own life, I struggle to be on time. I have a meeting at six thirty and. And I got a lot to do and I'm going and, you know, it hits about six o'clock and I'm thinking, OK, I got a little bit more time. And then it hits six fifteen. OK, I got to go someplace, you know, and I'm, a, I'm up and I brush my teeth and, you know, get change of clothes. And I, I'm going and, you know, printing up things. And, and then I'm about at the door and the phone rings. And I'm like, oh, or I, I got one last thing I forgot. Right. The one last detail, one other document I need to print for this meeting or maybe a map that I need to print or something or, or, or one of the kids need help. And I always I always like to try to push the buffer so that I can be maximum efficiency and it ends up swinging late on me. I'm late to my appointment again. It's hard to be on time. I'm sure that each of you have your own story this week. Everyone except the Arm Brewsters. I know that you guys are 15 minutes early is late for you guys. And I appreciate that. That's wonderful. We can learn from you. Um, that's not where I am. We, so many of you know, we went to the Founders Week Moody Church uh, this past Friday. Emailed that out if anyone wanted to come. Amanda picked us up on, the, um, uh, on that opportunity. I'm planning to leave at 4 o'clock. Um, it was hitting about 3.30 and all of a sudden I came in just to check how things were with Yvonne and she had a list of all these errands I had to do and so I ran out, dropped some things off the post office, I had to fill up the car, I'd get some things at Walmart and, and I was late and I knew I was late. I was literally like running through Walmart in order to uh, to get the stuff to be on time. We didn't leave until 4.30. Uh, we had six of us, Yvonne and I are two teenagers, a cousin and, and Amanda and uh, we hit traffic downtown. 
uh, right at O'Hare. We turn on WBBM. It's going to be an hour on the Kennedy from O'Hare to the Circle. And we're like, oh, and uh, we're just looking at the time. And by the time we got to Moody Church, I mean, we couldn't park where we wanted to park. We parked another place. We got in. We went and uh, I heard him talking about, well, you can be in the overflow room. And I said, I don't want to be in the overflow room. I wanted my kids to be with thousands of people who would taken time out on their Fridays so as to come to this worship service to hear MacArthur preach, who's made so much in Avon and I's life. And uh, so we got up there, and we were way on the top of the balcony, way over on the end. And with the help of an usher, we got four individual seats, and Yvonne and I were able to sit together. So we are all, all spread up all, all over the place. But I was so grateful to... To be there, be late. Now, the consequence of being late was that we're all split up. If we'd have been on time, the traffic wasn't so bad, we'd have been all together. But that's small, isn't it? Just to sit apart from each other wasn't a big deal. Sometimes the consequence of being late is, is uh, small, right? You're late for a, a meeting, maybe you apologize to those who are waiting for you. Maybe it's large, maybe you miss your plane and you miss the meeting altogether, or you miss your trip altogether. But when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ, the consequences are eternal. And the consequences of being late or or not being ready is the difference between being with Him in glory forever or suffering in hell forever. You want to be ready. You want to be ready for the return of Christ. I want to be ready for the return of Christ. My message this morning is simply titled this, Are You Ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? It's a big question for the day. If you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We come to the very last section of the Gospel of Mark, verses 28 through 37. It's where Jesus is calling us to be ready for the return of Christ. Now, since this will be the last time here in Mark 13, I want to read the I want to read the whole passage and comment lightly just so we kind of catch all up to speed again what Mark 13 has been about. It begins in verse 1 where Jesus was going out of the temple when one of His disciples said to Him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? This really sets the stage for everything that Jesus says in verses 5 through verse 37. He was there in the temple mount. The disciples were marveling at the temple. And Jesus said, it's all going to be torn down. And then they took that 20 to 30 minute walk down the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives. Which, by the way, is why this is called the Olivet Discourse, because it was given on the Mount of Olives. And his disciples were ruminating on this, and they said, well, when is, when is all this stuff going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed? And here's what Jesus says. He said, he used the opportunity to not only talk about the temple, but he also even gets to the return of, of himself. He says in verse 5, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. 
But be on your guard. They will deliver you to the courts and you'll be flogged in the synagogues and you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand what you are going to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father is child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now, these are just general signs of what's going to take place before the the temple is destroyed and before Jesus comes. So just general things like wars and rumors of wars, false Christs, earthquakes and famines. Or persecutions, as he talked about in verse 9, and, and brother betraying brother. I mean, these are the type of things that are going to take place first, just in a, in a general sort of way. And then Jesus gets specific here in verse 14. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader of Daniel understand. Then let those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and the one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in next to get anything out of his house. And the one who's in the field must not turn back to get his coat, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And this Jesus is talking about a specific event. He called it the abomination of desolation. It's when the when the temple, the altar area is defiled. And he says when when that happens, when you see the abomination of desolation happening, then you get out of town, you flee to the mountains and you run away. It's going to be so bad. It's going to be worse than anything that has ever been before. A real specific event talked about was Jesus. The first part was a real general and then he's more specific. And now he talks about his return. And he says in verse 21, And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to mislead, to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after the tribulation, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see me, the sun, they will, they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. And Jesus says, when I return, there's going to be no mistake that I'm coming. People are going to say, oh, here's the Christ. There's the Christ. And Jesus says, no, no, no. When I come back, here's what it's going to be like. The sun will be darkened and the moon will be darkened and the stars will fall from the sky. And I'm going to come on the clouds and the angels are going to come and gather the elect together. That's what's going to happen when I come. And now Jesus, verse 28 brings us even to our text. It says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that He is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. 
Take heed. Keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigned to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. We see here Jesus giving us some lessons. He really gives us two lessons. The first lesson is this, is learn Let's learn something. Learn from the fig tree. Second lesson is be alert. Now, the good news is this. If you've been confused by Matthew 13 and, and what exactly it is and, and how it's fulfilled or, or will be fulfilled, or you can't understand it. Well, listen, if you get this section right, you're fine. You get everything else right if you get these right. If you're ready for his return, you'll be fine. You say, Steve, how can I be ready? Well, here's how you're ready. You're ready when you're trusting the Lord with all your heart and you're leaning not on your own understanding. But when you're acknowledging Him and trusting Him to make your path straight, that's when you're ready. When you're trusting God, when you're trusting Jesus Christ, when you're trusting His atoning work upon the cross to forgive all of your transgressions, that's when you're ready. When you're not trusting in your own righteousness or your own righteous deeds, but when you're trusting in His sacrifice is sufficient to forgive you from all your sins, many though they be, then you're ready. And if you're ready for His return, regardless of when it happens or, or whether you're right or not about when, if you're ready, things are okay. So you get this text right and you've got the whole thing right by way of application. So my first lesson is this. Learn. Learn from the fig tree. Starts in verse 28, right? Learn the parable from the fig tree. When the branch has become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Really simple. Jesus is talking about the change of season. We know about the change of season here in the Midwest. Some who grow up in California don't know about the change of season. Or some know about mild change of season if you grow up in Northern California. But Jesus is talking about a common occurrence in Israel those times. The, the fig tree bore figs nine months out of the year. It still does in Israel. But it, it goes dormant for three months. Whereas we might bear fruit like one month and go dormant for 11 months. It, it, the fig tree is dormant for just three months. But when it starts putting forth its, its branch... And when it starts becoming tender, you know that those winter months are about over and it is early spring and that you know that summer may well be on its way. Let me contextualize here in the Midwest. When you see the snow melt, know that summer is near. <clears throat> My folks sometimes go down to Arizona. In fact, that's where they are right now. And uh, I remember driving around with my dad one time and we were in the, the parking lot of Target or something like that. And it was it was about January or so. And he's looking about going to Arizona. And he says, Steve, you see that pile of snow there? I said, yeah. He says, we're not coming back until it's all melted. And so when it all melted, that's when he came back. And that's what we're hoping to do again. Come back in May. When the snow melts, you know the summer's near. When the tulips come up, you know the summer's near. When you see robins prancing about on the lawn, you know that summer is near. 
Well, that's the illustration. Now, let's get the interpretation of that. Even so, or the application. Verse 29. Even so, you too, when you see these things happen, recognize that He is near, right at the door. He is right there. He is near. And Jesus says this. He says, so you too, when you, when you see these things happen, which he talked about in the earlier part of the chat, when you see these things happen, know that the return of Christ is close. You can just look, just as you look at the change of season, so also you look upon the situation in the world and realize that the Lord is near. Right? And it's, it's really that simple. You shouldn't, when you see these things, you shouldn't panic or fear or worry. You should trust the Lord that summer is coming and that Jesus is coming to restore all things. As Psalm 96 and Psalm 97 says, all creation is rejoicing at Christ, judging and restoring all things. Well, there's the illustration, there's the explanation. Now, let's ask some questions here. To what exactly is Jesus referring? When you say, okay, what, what are these things, right? Verse 29, so to you too, when you see these things happening... Well, I think it's everything that was before, right? The wars and the earthquakes, the famines, the persecutions, the, the defilement of the temple. And even Jesus says, listen, all of these things, verse 23, take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. These are the things that are going to take place before Jesus returns. These are the preliminaries to the second coming, if you will. And Jesus says, when you see these preliminaries, Know that I'm near. I'm, I'm right at the door. When you see these things take place, know that His, His, His coming is soon upon us. It comes after these things. These things come first, and then He comes. Once you see these things, you ought then to look and expect for the sun to be dark and the moon not to give its light, the stars to be fallen from the sky, and the Son of Man appearing in, in the clouds, the angels gathering so here's the million dollar question, right? Have these things taken place? Has the branch of the fig tree become tender? Has the fig begun to put forth its leaves? Well, if that's the case, then summer is near. And you know what? I, I believe these things have taken place. Now, there are many good, reputable Bible scholars who put these things all in the future. I think that they have all taken place. I've talked about we've had wars, we've had rumors of wars, we've had famines. These are all the special things. There's abomination of desolation. I do believe that's happened. I mean, all you need to do is go to Israel today and see there's no temple there. What happened to it? Well, it was desecrated by the Romans and it was destroyed. I think all these things took place. In fact, I stand on Jesus' testimony. He says, verse, verse 30, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, many people look here at verse 30 and, and they say, well, Jesus is talking here about all these things from verse 5 through verse 27. And, and verse 24, have we seen Jesus come and return in the clouds and the sky? And I say, no, we haven't seen that yet, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Remember, the fig tree is a preliminary to His return. It's not the return itself. It's just the preliminary to the return. Right? When it's tender, that means that Jesus is at the door. He's, he's ready to return doesn't talk about the actual coming of Jesus. And that's why Jesus can say that this generation, the, the disciples to whom he was talking, they're the ones who stood before governors and were flogged in the synagogues. They're the ones who had brother and sister and father betray them. And, and they're the ones who experienced 
the great atrocities that took place in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. And by the way, these things have continued to be all throughout generations. And Jesus said, this generation will not pass away until all these preliminary things take place. That's how I read it. Different people read it differently, and that's okay. This is, this is one of the most debated verses in all of Mark 13. It's just, what does this mean, this generation? I think it means the generation right to whom he spoke. It was those disciples. And since Jesus ascended and the temple is destroyed, the time is right for Jesus to come back again. The summer is near. The Lord is near. New Testament writers... They all speak this way about the return of Christ being near. And Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 5, the Lord is near. Peter wrote, 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near or it's at hand. James said, be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. And then James, just like his divine brother, said in James 5, verse 9, behold, the judge is standing right at the door. James was talking about that to his generation. That, that all these things are taking place and Jesus, it's, it's ready for him to return. He is, he is right there at the door, ready to come. Now, often when we think of the coming of Jesus, right? Maybe we think it's a long way off or, or even them. How is it that it's been delayed some 2,000 years? That's really the big, the big question here. How is it the return of Christ have been delayed 2,000 years? Well, I think we get some explanation here in verse 31 and 32. Or verse 30 and 31. Verse 30 says, verse 31 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 31 here speaks of the certainty of the words of Jesus. What he has spoken will be accomplished. There's no doubt everything he said will come true. Verse 32, however, introduced some uncertainty. But of the day or the hour, no one knows, nor the angels in heaven, nor even the Son, but the Father alone. Let's just look at here, verse 31, though. It speaks about the certainty of the coming of Christ. The certainty of these words. Admittedly, one of the things difficult about the words of Jesus in this chapter is they're, they're difficult to believe. They're, they're difficult. Have they really taken place? Is it really the case that Jesus is near how can this delay be? Well, Bertrand Russell wrote a little paper, said, Why I am not a Christian. It was originally transcribed a lecture and then it was transcribed to be this little pamphlet. You can read it. It doesn't take very long. Less than an hour, you can read it. And in his lecture, he makes many points against Christianity. Why he's not a Christian. And one of his points was he saw defects in Christ's teaching. He said that the main thing, the main defect he pointed out was Jesus was mistaken, particularly about his own return. Bertrand Russell said this, he certainly thought that his second coming would occur in clouds of glory before the death of all the people who were living at the time. And referring to Mark chapter 14, verse 13, verse 30. In that respect, clearly he was not so wise as some other people have been, and he was certainly not superlatively wise. Therefore, I don't believe in Jesus. Now, I feel the tension there because we think that soon means like soon, like tomorrow or maybe next week or next month or maybe in a, a few years. But here's the issue that, that soon 
God's concept of soon is different than our concept of soon. And even we just think about Second Peter. If you want to, you can turn to Second Peter. I, I'm just going to be there a little bit. I'm, we're going to go right back here to Mark chapter 13. But in Second Peter chapter 3, we see Peter almost addressing the exact same thing. He says in 2 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, Where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. It's almost as if Peter is addressing Bertrand Russell exactly. He says, You're mocking the promise of His coming. He promised to come, but He hasn't come yet. Well, where is He, right? He said he's right at the door. Hasn't he opened the door yet? Surely he was wrong. He's not coming back. It's a sham, right? And and, and Peter says, no, no, no. Mockers are going to come. It is no sham. Because they say everything's been the same since the beginning. And, And Peter says, no, no, no. It's not been the same from the beginning. Because it was created, right? Verse 5, when they maintain this, it escapes to notice that by the Word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. And by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. He said, by the Word of God, the world was created, ex nihilo, from nothing. By the Word of God, it was destroyed with a flood. By the Word of God, it's being preserved. By the Word of God, it will be burned in fire someday. No, it's not everything the same as it was from the beginning. It's, it's what Jesus says. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. He's coming back. It's soon. So how do you deal with the delay? Well, you deal with the delay here in verse 8 of Second Peter 3. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. When when we think soon, we think within our lifetime. Our lifetime is 70 years, Moses says, if strength and 80. And so we, to us, I mean, 80 years is like an eternity. And yet, yet God, standing out of time, being the everlasting now can look upon all of time and history and a thousand years can be like a day. So how long has the Lord delayed His coming? It's been two days. It's been 2,000 years so far. From His standpoint, it's just two days. And, and so you say, well, well, why is He delayed? Check this out. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The return of Jesus has been delayed to give time for people to repent. So kind and so gracious of God. The teacher pushes back the deadline for a paper and exam is kind and gracious to give students more time. The businessman who allows the shipping date to slip without penalty is kind and gracious. The judge that delays the trial to give more time for the defense to gather their evidence is kind and gracious. And so also the sovereign one who delays his coming judgment is kind and gracious. It is, beloved, the kindness and forbearance and patience of God that leads to repentance. Any delay 
In Jesus coming back is an expression of his kindness. And the Lord has chosen not to judge the world with finality for 2,000 years. And that every day that goes by, it's just God's kind. He's gracious. He's waiting for repentance. And so you've got to realize that, that the time between the, the fulfillment of these things and the, Jesus standing right at the door until now, it's all an expression of God's gracious kindness to us, waiting for people to repent. The fact that Jesus is coming back, no doubt. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He'll return. He, he absolutely will return, right? Like He said He would return. And so let's learn. Go back to Mark 13 again. Let's learn from this the certainty of the words of Jesus. But let's also catch this, this unknowability of the time. Jesus said, In that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, in terms of the exact day of His return, it's unknown. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. Now, there's no problem here believing about the deity of Jesus if He didn't believe this or didn't know this. Jesus knew a lot of things in His incarnation, but He didn't know all things. But think about His incarnation came with other limitations. He wasn't omnipresent. He had a body. He was located in one place. He wasn't spirit. Because he had a body. He wasn't immortal like every other man who walked the planet. He was capable of dying. And, and those things no way limit his deity. They're just in the mystery of the incarnation. The mystery of the incarnation here also. He wasn't omniscient in the days of the flesh. He didn't know the day of his return. Nor, nor the angels didn't know that. They didn't know it either. Nor the saints in heaven right now. They don't know the day either. God the Father alone knows the day of the return of the Son of Man. Now, that it will happen is certain. When it will happen, we don't know. That's not that it's impossible or extremely difficult to know. God has, God has kept it a secret. And it will be known someday when He reveals it. And, and here, here really comes down to application for us. Think about it. If God the Father has chosen to keep the knowledge of the day of His return in secret, we ought to be content Letting him keep that secret, right? <laughs> but how many there are um, who come, these eschatological preachers, and say they've got it all figured out. And, and they say, well, you know, here it is, it's coming up, and this event is happening, and this event is happening. Big conferences take place that, that speak about all the, the coming of the new world order and, and pull all this together. And, and what, basically what happens, think about that, when all these eschatology prophecy preachers are coming together and, and planning out all, all these things, what's happening? You're just stilling people with fear. You, you're trying to guess what, what God has said is, is unknowable. Often, it's very interesting in these, these things, they try to say, look, look how everything's coming together and the end is really near and Jesus can return any moment. And like, I knew that, <laughs> right? Isn't that just exactly what Jesus said? He said, learn from the fig tree, right? When all these things happen, you know His coming is near. His coming is near. I know that. You don't need to go to some prophecy conference to know that His coming is near. He's already told us the same thing. I said, all you need to do is go to Jerusalem. You see, there's no temple there. God, what has taken place, it is ready. And I just say, church family, learn from the fig tree. Are you ready? Are you ready for His return? 
Well, let's be alert. That's the second lesson we see. Verse 33 to 37. Take heed, Jesus says. Keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigned to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and you find him asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. There's one phrase here repeated three times. It's this whole phrase about being on the alert. Keep on the alert, verse 33. Verse 35, be on the alert. Verse 37, be on the alert. Whenever a repetition comes in Scripture, you've got to say, hmm, maybe that's the main point. It is the main point. Be on the alert. If you learn from the fig tree, you'll be ready. And if you be on the alert, you will be ready for the return of Christ. Let's look at the story that he tells. It's really simple. Several characters in the story. There's a, a master and his slaves. Your translation might say master and his servants. For some reason, the master is has gone away. Maybe it's for pleasure. Maybe it's for business. We don't know. But in his absence, he's given his slaves, given his servants charge over his household. So they see the affairs of the house while his master is gone. Each servant is given his own specific task. Verse 34. The master, though, gave one particular task to the, the doorkeeper. He is the one who is to be on the alert, watching for the return of the master. Now, everyone else is to be about their duties. Some are probably cooking and some are cleaning and some are farming and some are doing maintenance or whatever. It helps to keep this business or this land operating and working. None of the servants knew when the master would return. And the implication is they need to be about their duties. So when the master returns, he might find them faithfully doing their duty. And that's the story. Here's the reality. Right? We have a master in heaven. His name is Jesus. We are his slaves. We are his servants. And like the master in the parable, Jesus has gone away. Now, he's gone away to heaven. Just remember in Acts, it says he ascended up into the clouds in Acts chapter one. And his disciples were there looking at him. And the angelic message said, just like Jesus went, so also he's going to come in the clouds. You're going to be able to to see him. Jesus is coming back like the servants in this parable. Jesus is given instructions while he's away. They're contained in the Bible. He tells us what to believe. We need to believe in Jesus Christ, the only son of God. We're to believe his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for our sins. We're to believe that his kindness in his kindness, he is reconciled to us to him by faith. The Bible tells us how it is we're to view ourselves. We're to view ourselves as servants. We are slaves of God. He has bought us with a price. We are His servants to do what He will. Anything that has come to us is a gift. We've merited nothing. He's just given it all to us. The Lord has told us what to do. We're told to seek His kingdom and His righteousness. To lay up treasures in heaven. We're to cultivate an inner holiness which overflows to others. We're, we're to forgive others. We're to be gracious. We see the fruit of the Spirit cultivated in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Like the servants in this parable, we're called to be faithful while our master is away. And here's the question of the day. Are, are, you, are you ready? Are you ready for the master to return? Are you faithful to your master? 
Is your life one of such integrity that Jesus could return any moment and finding you doing His will? That's what it means to be faithful. Listen to the poem, If Jesus Came by Reginald Patton. Would you have to change your clothes before you let Him in? Or hide some magazines and put some Bibles where they'd been? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you let Jesus walk right in or would you rush about? It's really a great question. Are you ready? Jesus came to your home right now. Are you ready? If Jesus would interrupt this service, are you ready? The truth be known, some of us would have to rush about. Jesus came in. I'm just telling you, be the faithful servant who has nothing to hide. And you get eschatology. And you get His return. Because the one who has been faithful says, Lord, come right on in. i got nothing to hide. I know it's been a while, but I've been believing the things you said. I believe you're coming back. And I, I am your servant. I want to just do your will. I've been seeking to do what you have assigned me to do. It's a faithful child. There's no fear of mom and dad knocking on the door because they're working on their homework anyway. The faithful employee isn't worried about whether the boss will come to examine his work because he knows he's doing his work. The faithful servant isn't concerned with the timing of his master's return because he knows he's doing the master's business. And so likewise, the faithful Christian has no fear of the return of the Lord when he comes again welcoming him, rejoicing, no hiding. That's how you know that you're You're ready. But Leviticus 26.36 says that the wicked flee at the sound of a rustling leaf. So paranoid, so scared are they. There are those who shudder when the door opens upon them. There are those who fear, will fear when the Lord returns because they've not been about doing His will. They're unfaithful. You know, the return of Christ is going to elicit two responses in people. Either it's going to be terrifying fear and dread because you're not ready, or it's going to be utter joy and ecstasy because you are ready and you get to be with Jesus forever. John Piper wrote his great book, God is the Gospel. You get to be with God forever and enjoy His presence and the pleasures there if you're ready. And if you're not ready, it is utter terror. So this one event, two things, joy or terror, all dependent upon whether you are ready or not. Well, more than 200 years ago in New England, May 19, 1780, There was an unusual darkening of the day. The sky over New England states and part of Canada became dark. No one knows exactly what took place, but it's believed that it's been a combination of smoke and fires, a thick fog and a cloud cover all descending at the same time there in northeastern United States. The darkness was so complete, candles were required noon on that day and you needed him all the way through till midnight that next day before the, the darkness finally cleared. So strange this day, it's come to be known as the New England's Dark Day. You can look it up on Wikipedia as I did. It's the dark day of New England. And many thought that the day of judgment had come. Because it was so strange. With, you know, you just imagine this fire, smoke coming and, and, and coordinating with a darkened cloud cover. And, and this fog maybe coming in. And just, all this stuff, it's just weird. Haven't experienced it before. I don't think they really experienced it ever since. 
inclined, it, it inclined many in uh, the legislature of Connecticut to propose an adjournment. They're right there in the midst of doing their work. And as it rolled in, they, they thought we need to stop working. And they, many thought that it was the day of judgment that had come. And they thought that it was best for everyone to go home or prepare for the coming judgment. But Abraham Davenport, bless his soul, said this. He says, I am against adjournment. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. And if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought. He says, let's just press on doing what we're supposed to do. You want to say, how, how can you be ready for the return of Christ? Press on doing what you're supposed to be doing. Believing what you're supposed to be believing. It's exactly what Jesus is telling here in Mark chapter 13 about your work, about your duty, how to prepare for the Lord's return. Be on the alert. He can return at any time. So what are you going to do? You've got to be faithfully serving Him. It's a slave who's kept in charge in his master's absence. Listen, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is coming back. It's as certain as certain can be. And your welfare on that day will be determined by your faithfulness on earth this day. And when the Lord comes back, you want to have Him find you doing His will. But if the Lord finds you ignoring His will, you'll face terror and judgment. And I guarantee you, you want to be the one who's about doing the Lord's business when He returns. It's not always good. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 tells of those who were unprepared in coming into the kingdom of heaven. And there are many who think they're prepared, they're not prepared. When they say, Lord, Lord, look at all the wonderful things that we did for you, and Jesus will cast them out and says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You need to know this day is on God's calendar someplace. And you may have the privilege of seeing it. Or you may pass away and be taken up from the grave to see him. But that day is coming. And it'd be foolish not to prepare for that day. The one who lives on the East Coast when the hurricane comes, but doesn't prepare, has lost his mind. The one who lives in Kansas but fails to seek shelter during a tornado is a fool. And the one who ignores the reality of the coming of Jesus by living as if he were never coming back is in great danger of eternal hell. The good news is that just belief and trust in Jesus will redeem you and rescue you on that day. So let's learn. Let us be alert And, and there's such a way that um, that this message is often ignored by people. William Barclay shares a fable. It's very instructive for us. He tells of three apprentices of the devil who were coming to this earth to finish their apprenticeship. And, and they were talking to Satan, the chief of the devils, about their plan to tempt and ruin men. And the first one said this, Satan, I've got this great plan. I, I'm going to... Tell men that there is no God. And Satan says, bad plan. Because that's not going to delude many people. 
people know there's a God? That's not going to work. The second apprentice came up and he said, well, I'm going to tell them there's no hell. There's no punishment. And again, Satan says, you're not going to deceive anybody that way. Men know now that the repercussion of their sin is hell. And the third one said this to Satan. He says, I, I will tell men there's no hurry. No hurry. Satan said, yep, go. And you will ruin them by the thousands. How easy it is just to put it off and to say like Bertrand Russell, like the scoffers of Peter's day, where's the promise of his coming? He's, not coming. He's never been. I, I think yeah, I'm okay. But never being ready. So may God help us this morning to embrace the return of Christ and be ready for it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray in my own heart that I would think much of the return of Christ, that I would be ready, that I would long for that day. The return of Christ is called the blessed hope. It is where our hope lies. The crown of righteousness, Paul says, is laid up for those who have longed for His appearing. The creation right now, as Romans 8 says, is groaning because of sin. Yet at your return, as we read this morning in Psalm 98, the creation will rejoice. I pray, O Lord, that you would help us to be ready for His return. I thank you for your grace and delay for your patience and kindness and would pray that that would lead us to repentance. And perhaps even there's someone here in the room right now who hasn't repented from their sin, who's not ready for the return of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would show grace and open hearts, open eyes, let the truth come in to ears, change them. God, for the, the glory of Christ, and for you and for them, I pray. Help us to long for those days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.